0: Passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching people with Jesus. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxas. somebody who's new, I'm Kurt and I'm one of the pastors. We are studying our way through 1 Samuel. We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 19 this morning. So go ahead and get your notes out, uh, get your Bibles out. And by the way, you can also find those notes in the church app if you'd like to. But before we get into our study this morning, I just have a few quick announcements I want to go over. Uh, first of all we have some international students with us this morning and they are from the University of Nebraska and they are visiting us they are up here and they're trying to get a chance to meet Iowa culture check out the Clay County Fair and farming and all that good stuff and so international students we are very thankful to have you this morning and hopefully you get a warm welcome and that was just it's just great to have you I want you to know that uh, second thing, I want to dive into a little bit more of what Kathy told you earlier, which is next week we are starting our fall programming. We're not going to be having our sec- our second service move to 11 o'clock. We're going to keep our second service at 10 o'clock. And during those worship hours, we'll have uh, some Christian education stuff going on, as Kathy told you about. You know, If you have a child, 6th through 12th grade, there is during the first worship hour at 815, there'll be classes for them over there in the in the uh, commons basement area. If you have a child that is nursery through fifth grade, classes will be offered for them during both services. So you can slice and dice this any way you want as your family fits best. You can come to the first service and send your children to Christian education during that time or For instance, you could have your children go to Christian education during the first service, and then you as a family could attend together during the second service. Whatever fits best for you. And as Kathy also pointed out, there'll be two adult classes being offered. One is a class on apologetics, which will be during the 8:15 hour in the commons, as she said. And then we're going to have the overcome class that'll be taught during second hour. Uh, Clay and Kathy will be teaching that. So if you're looking for a place to plug in and, and, and uh, figure out how to get some additional Christian education, those are two great opportunities for you. The third thing I wanna briefly mention is the progress of our Spencer campus. As you guys know, our goal was that we would be into the new campus on October 1st. Uh, I don't think we're gonna meet that goal. But the good news is that First Christian Church, which is the church we are renting from, did agree to continue to rent to us on a month-to-month basis until we are in our new facilities. So that was an answer to prayer, because we didn't know if they would want to uh, end things immediately in the beginning of October, which was per our original contract. Uh, The good news is people are down there and they're working hard. Uh, People from both campuses are showing up, maybe about eight to ten folks every evening. So if you are available to come and help, there's certainly other people down there and your help could certainly be used. We have drywallers that are still there full-time during the day, electricians that are there. We had a company in from Minneapolis building the stage this past week. So a lot of things are happening very quickly. And, you know, we're putting all of our efforts into that. And so this is going to be very neat in the next few weeks as that comes together to update you on our giving towards that project we you know that our goal was to raise six hundred and forty thousand dollars to make the renovation of the spencer campus possible we met that goal financially and then unfortunately because of the increased cost due to construction we came back and shared with you they were raising our goal from six hundred and forty to eight hundred thousand dollars some uh, things like doors triple the cost. Uh, steel studs double the cost from what we originally quoted. So we're doing everything we can to contain our cost, but it's still extra cash. Thankfully, um, <clears throat> since we made that announcement, an additional $40,000 has come in. So we've received 682000 I think it is, <clears throat> at this point, towards the Spencer campus. But as God lays that on your heart, we encourage you to continue to give. Last announcement is while speaking of giving, let me just tell you how to do that. Uh, We are not receiving offering in the service, though giving is part of the way we worship God, and it's the right thing we should do for God, give of our wealth uh, as a way of showing our gratefulness and thankfulness to him. And how can you give? I'm going to need some water, by the way. Somebody grab me in the back there. See, my wife is so good. Look at this. She's already on... Thank you, dear. That's what you call a helpmate suitable. Okay. So you can always give, we can give cash or you can give uh, checks directly by putting in the offering boxes on the left and the right of the main doors on the way out. But I just want to let you know that probably the best way for you to give is simply to use the church app. You can in your bulletin, you'll see a QR code that you can scan and download that and you can give on the church app. And the reason that's helpful, you can give right from your bank, you can give from a debit card, a credit card. But what that does is it takes care of so much of the processing for us in the office where if you have checks or cash, it's actually a fair amount more work to document that all properly, where the app does that all for us. And at a time where we could use any extra time to get the Spencer campus ready, uh, that's one way to help us with that. So um, with that being said, let's go ahead and get back to our study of God's word. As I said, we are in First Samuel. First um, Samuel, for those of you who don't know much about this, was actually part of the history of the people of Israel. It was written around 1000 BC and we've reached the point in our story as we've been studying through this book that uh, King Saul has been rejected by God because he has been very rebellious to God. He has left God and Samuel the the prophet has gone and he has anointed David, a, a young man to be the next king. Now, that happened in 1 Samuel chapter 16, but when David was anointed to be the the next king, really in 1 Samuel 16, he's a young guy and not really much happens. He's sort of under the wire, and nothing seems to be happening until we get to the next chapter. 1 Samuel 17 is the story of David and Goliath. For 40 days, a massive Philistine man that was 9 foot 6 inches tall, covered in steel armor, has been defying the armies of God, saying, come on, send somebody to fight me. Do you think anybody can beat me? And nobody from all of Israel would go. And David, when he visited the front lines, heard this. And even though he was under 20 years old, because he was not old enough yet to be in the army, he said, he is defying the armies of the living God. I will go. And he knew God would give him the victory. And that's exactly what happened. With only a leather strap and a stone, he flung that stone and it hit Goliath right smack in the forehead, knocking him to the ground. And David ran over and cut off his head. Now what we find is after 1 Samuel 17, David went from complete obscurity, living as a shepherd in the wilderness, to total popularity. Everybody instantly knew his name and he was filled with incredible fame. Well, we learned last week in 1 Samuel 18 that popularity may not always be a good thing because while everybody loved David, there was one person who didn't love David. That was King Saul. King Saul was incredibly jealous of him. He was consumed with jealousy of David's success. And we learned what jealousy can do to a person last week as we looked at what it did to King Saul. It turned him from a normal person into an angry, peevish, bitter, nasty, evil person jealousy, it also took people who were supposed to be his friends, people who had fought for him like David, David who had risked his life for King Saul and the army and for God. And instead of Saul seeing them as his friends, Saul now saw David as his bitter enemy. And we learned the danger of jealousy, the danger of envy and letting something like that consume us and eventually take us over. In fact, the envy that Saul experienced we saw last week led to two direct assassination attempts where he tried to kill David by his own hands twice. And when he was unsuccessful, what he did is he set about the three different plans we looked at last week where he tried to set David up to die in military battles. But each time it seemed like no matter what he did, David survived. And Saul was frustrated and Saul was angry. I just can't kill this guy. I can't get rid of this guy. As we get to 1 Samuel 19, where we find ourselves this morning, the story continues. 1 Samuel 19 is Saul making four more attempts to try and kill David and take his life. Which will actually bring us up to the fact it's nine times that he's killed, trying to kill David, which is why we gave this sermon the story, the title, uh, David's Nine Lives because he continues to survive. But as we look at this chapter, what this chapter is is four short stories of these attempts on David's life. And we'll see in these short stories how David protects David's, or how, excuse me, how God protects David's life. And what we'll see is in the first three stories, God uses his invisible hand to protect David. It looks like hes it's just ordinary circumstances that seem to work out to protect David. And in the last story, we see God's very visible hand in a very supernatural and miraculous ways that God protects David. But in no matter which story you look at, it is ultimately God always protecting David, his anointed king. And it's a reminder to us that in our life, God works not just invisible, but often in invisible ways as he guards and protects our life as we go throughout our days. So let's uh, go ahead and and begin. By the way, I have on the top of your outline here just uh, a verse. It's a good reminder. It's sort of a theme verse for what we're going to study. It's Psalm 34, verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. It's a reminder how God protects his people. So let's begin with this. The first story is David was saved by Jonathan. And Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all of his servants, that they should kill David. Now in the last chapter, we know Saul has been trying to kill David, and it has been two years of trying to kill David unsuccessfully. But now, after two years of unsuccessfully trying to kill David himself, Saul's private plans are actually becoming rather public plans. He's trying to enlist the help of his own son, and he's enlisting the help of his own officers. Uh, Last week, we learned a little bit about Jonathan, Saul's own son. We learned that Jonathan is a good man. He is a godly man just as David was a very courageous and godly man who risked his life against Goliath in the battle with the Philistines. Jonathan is very similar to David in character. Jonathan risked his life in the battle at Michmash against the Philistines, both very courageous things to do. And we learned last week that after David killed Goliath, David and Jonathan actually became the best of friends. Now here is Saul, David's father, asking Jonathan to kill his own best friend. Sort of a strange situation to find yourself in. And so I asked myself this question. You're know, like, how can Saul ask Jonathan to kill his best friend? And I put down an answer for you here. This is what I think is going on. Those who are gripped by evil lose all ob- objectivity and are consumed by evil they can only imagine that everyone else feels and thinks the way they do. Now, isn't that true? Look back on your life. Look back at people who are gripped by evil desires, consumed by evil desires. Isn't it true they can't seem to imagine anybody who feels or thinks differently than how they approach things? This is the truth. Saul has lost all objectivity. He can't imagine why anyone else would not want to kill David. And of course, this is foolishness. Remember, the only reason that Saul hates David, he's filled with envy of David, is because David is more successful than he is. David has done nothing against him. David has always consistently fought for him and protected him. Yet this is all a matter of jealousy. The verse continues with this. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. So here we see the problem. Jonathan is faced with a dilemma. It's a conflict of loyalties. Will he be loyal to his father, who wants him to kill his best friend, David? David, who is a good man, who is a, a godly man. Or will he be loyal ultimately to God? who would clearly say this is the wrong thing to do. And will he save his best friend? And I think there's a little question here. How should we deal with conflicting loyalties? Sometimes we'll be faced with those things. For instance, uh, should you be more loyal to your parents who may ask you to do an evil thing or more loyal to your God when you know you have to do the right thing? I put this down in your notes for you. Um, Loyalty to God's word comes above loyalty to family. Children may have to disobey their parents if their parents ask them to sin. Now, I'm not telling children to disobey their parents. I'm just saying that as children, you may, there may come a time like this with Jonathan and his father Saul where Jonathan had to disobey his father because Saving David's life is the right thing to do above honoring his own father. Now let's see how Jonathan sets out to save David. And Jonathan told David, Saul, my father seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on your guard in the morning. Stay in a secret place and hide yourself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are and I will speak to my father about you. And if I learn anything, I will tell you. So as soon as Jonathan knows that his father is planning to kill David, he sets about to put David in a safe place. He puts David into hiding. And he also does a very courageous thing Jonathan does. He is going to talk to his father about his father's plans to take David's life. Now remember, if you've been with us for a period of time, the history of what Saul is like. Already once, Saul has tried to kill Jonathan, his own son, for violating one of his commands unknowingly. So approaching your father on this and saying, dad, I, th- I think you're pretty much mistaken trying to take David's life. Something that he has been working on and trying to do for two years. This is a highly risky maneuver on Jonathan's part. It is a highly courageous maneuver on his part. He knows that to some degree, he is taking his own life in his hands to cross his father and to disagree with his father. But yet this is what he is choosing to do. Now, next comes the conversation that he has with his father, but I want you to notice how this conversation is done. We'll see how it's put together. Uh, Jonathan has planned this conversation. Jonathan is very respectful to his father in this conversation. Jonathan talks to his father privately, not publicly to embarrass him. But yet, Jonathan is also very honest, direct, and courageous, calling what his father is about to do or trying to do, sin, a very great wickedness, and calling his father to repent. Look what it says. And Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul his father and said to him, now let not the king sin against his servant David because he has not sinned against you and because of his de- and because his deeds have brought good to you. For he took his life in his hand and he struck down the Philistine and the Lord worked a great salvation for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause? Can you see the plan and the structure of this speech? It begins with Jonathan speaking well of David, which I'm sure is something Saul did not want to hear. But yet Jonathan told the truth about David's character and in David's actions to his father. Then he told his father that killing David, that this would be sin, by the way, he didn't say it's a bad choice, maybe not a good decision. He just called it what it was. This would be sin. Now in the, the theme of the book of 1 Samuel, Only the worst of people in this book have been told that they are directly sinners. Like Hophni and Phinehas, remember earlier in the, the series where they were the young men who were sleeping with young women in the temple and stealing offerings and God struck them dead. This is the same category that Jonathan is putting his father's plans and actions into. Very courageous, but very truthful and honest thing to tell him. Third, he reminds Saul of all the good deeds that David has done. He's not been evil to you, he's been good to you. And then lastly, he says, taking David's life would be shedding innocent blood. Now, we hear that and it doesn't jump off the page to us, but to a Hebrew at this time, that little phrase, shedding innocent blood, would have caught in their psyche. Because the Bible talks about those who would shed innocent blood and the great evil of those who would take someone's life, like we saw in the news where that man uh, killed the young woman who was a jogger. You know, Great shedding of blood, shedding innocent blood was a really evil thing. Let me show you. It says, but if anyone hates his neighbor and lies in wait for him and attacks him and strikes him fatally so that he dies and he flees into one of these cities, Then the elders of his city shall send and take him from there and hand him over to the avenger of blood so that he may die. Your eye shall not pity him, but you shall purge the guilt of innocent blood from Israel so that it may be well with you." There was the innocent blood thing. In the Old Testament law, they had these cities called cities of refuge, that if you killed someone, inadvertently, you could flee to those cities of refuge and be protected from a family member of the deceased individual taking your life. But if you flee to a city of refuge, and it was discovered that you actually planned to take innocent life, the elders of that city would just give you right over and you would die. In other words, there was no place in all of Israel you could go to be safe and to protect your life. And Jonathan uses this phrase, innocent blood, saying, Father, if you take David's life, you are putting yourself into that category. There'll be no place you can go where you'll be able to hide from revenge and, and from somebody taking your life. Now here is what is interesting. It says, and Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan. And Saul swore, Has the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. Now, this is amazing. Two years firmly entrenched Saul has been to take David's life. Yet through a wise, courageous, gentle private conversation that Jonathan has with his father at high risk, he changes his father's heart and saves David's life. Now, unfortunately, as we know, as we've seen this already, Saul is not very good at keeping his promises, but at least we'll celebrate in the right direction. He at least made a promise, and he's heading in the right direction, and we see this. And Jonathan called David, and Jonathan reported to him all of these things. And Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as before. The relationship is healed. It's restored. Now, clearly in this story, Jonathan is the hero, isn't he? Jonathan is the one who took the initiative to protect David and put him in hiding. Jonathan is the one who courageously risked his life to talk to his father. Jonathan is the one who um, planned this conversation and structured this, this conversation with his father and begged with his father to turn from his sin. But while Jonathan is the one who did this, the truth is that God was behind all this, wasn't he? God is once again protecting David's life, but he was doing it through Jonathan. He was doing it through his courageous friend. And here is what we find. We often wonder, where is God? How is he at work in our world? How is he at work protecting us? But do you know when there's a, a difficulty in the church? There's difficulties between people in the church, and you stand up and you, and, you, and you have a friendship with one of them and you have a friendship with another of them and you try to act in this manner of reconciliation and you, you're courageous and you take the hard work of trying to bring these parties together and those parties are restored. Yes, you're part of restoring the health and wholeness and unity of the church, but it was God working through you who did that. It was God behind all that. It was God's invisible hand at work, bringing wholeness to his church, just like God's invisible hand here protected David's life once again. Well, as we continue, we move from seeing God protect David's life through the courageous intervention of a friend to David being saved by what is truly just quick reflexes. And we read, and there was war again. And David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a great blow so that they fled as before. Now we do not know how long this reconciliation between David and Saul lasted. It may have been days. It may have been weeks. It may have been months. But we do know it came to an end because there was war again with the Philistines. And when Saul went out to fight with them and David went out to fight with them, guess who did a much better job and was much more successful? David, thank you. And guess who ended up all jealous and envious like last time? Saul. He's filled with envy once again because David is so successful. And then we read this. Then a harmful spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in his house with his spear in his hand and David was playing the lyre. Now we've seen this before. A lyre is sort of an ancient version of an acoustic guitar and this is originally how David was brought into Saul's presence. He was a man who would play music to try and bring peace to Saul when a harmful spirit from the Lord was was upon them. And here's David doing the same thing, trying to bring peace peace to Saul. Interestingly, this harmful spirit from the Lord is something we read about earlier in this book. It was in 1 Samuel 16. It was in 1 Samuel chapter 18. And here it is again in 1 Samuel chapter 19. And what it seems, though I can't say this definitively, it's when Saul is in these periods of time where he becomes hardened in this envy, when he's stewing on this envy, when it's going around and around in his mind, and he's making these dark and evil plans, this is usually seen to be the time when it says, all of a sudden, a harmful spirit of the Lord came upon him. And I think there's some interesting little bit of application here. It is the danger of staying firmed and hardened in evil thoughts, evil intentions or angry thoughts and angry intentions. Doesn't the Bible warn us against this? The Bible says in Ephesians chapter four, verses 26 through 27, be angry and do not sin. Then it says, do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Has the sun gone down on Saul's anger? Many times many, many times it has gone down on his anger and he has not repented of it. And he's become hardened in this rebellion against God. And this is when we find this harmful spirit from the Lord comes upon him. And I'm gonna give you this, Hebrews ten thirty one. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The reality is God is bringing judgment upon him. Look what Saul does at this point, and Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear, but he eluded Saul, so that he struck the spear into the wall, and David fled and escaped that night. Boy, that was a close one. That's exactly what we're meant to see. David's playing his lyre, his, his guitar, he's singing, he's trying to comfort Saul. Saul's been hanging on the sp- corner with the spear like he always seems to have in his hand, and then all at once he lunges at David. David, at just the right moment, looks up and sees him coming, and with those quick reflexes that God has given him, whoosh, steps out of the way, and the spear goes into the wall instead of into his stomach. Now, you could say, well, Well, who saved David? Oh, David saved himself. It was his quick reflexes. But who gave him those reflexes? Who gave him that athletic ability? Who prompted David to just at the right moment look up from playing and see Saul lunging to him? If he had kept his eyes down playing guitar for a split second longer, the spear would have been in his stomach instead of the wall. So truly, even though we could say it was David's quick reflexes that saved him, now it was ultimately God's goodness and God's protecting hand that saved him, that had him look up at the right time. As I was studying this week, this reminded me of one time in my life, and this may seem silly to you, but I'll tell you a little bit what was going on. Uh, You know, I came from the East Coast, we used to live on the East Coast, and uh, one of the things I had in my 20s is I had a car I really liked. It was my Camaro, and some of you have seen my Camaro, others of you have not. I'll show you a picture of my Camaro. That was my Camaro, and I'm transparent in my Camaro, apparently. Um, So that's Cindy when we met, and let me tell you about a story that happened in that car. In Pennsylvania, they have a route called Route 309. It's uh, people drive crazy fast on that highway but because it's winding and sometimes there's traffic, this is a common thing. All of a sudden people will come to a complete stop with congestion and traffic. And you have to be aware of these things because you'll be going 60 and all of a sudden you have to hit your brakes or you're gonna rear end someone. I was doing 50, 60 miles an hour in my car and I reached down to change my radio and you're tinkering with it as a 20 year old because you always have to play with the radio. And I'm not probably looking what I'm doing. And I look up and I see solid brake lights in front of me. Everyone stopped and I am going way too fast to hit my brakes. And I remembered instantly there was nobody in my left lane. I cut the steering wheel to the left. I remember the car completely went and faced the guardrail. I'm like, oh, I'm going to die. I cut it to the right. It went right back in. I was in the left-hand lane. I hit my brakes and a few more car lengths I stopped. And I started to saying, God, thank you. God, thank you. God, you saved my life. If I had not looked up at that moment, I would have hit the car in front of me. If you had not provided that open left lane, I couldn't have turned to get into it. And if I hadn't been driving a car who could do one of those things, I would have never been able to do that if I was in like a, like a Subaru. You know, but I was like, God, you provided all of those things. You provided the quick reflexes on the car. You provided the split-second timing. You saved my life. Same thing happening with David at this mo- moment. You see how God's invisible hand was at work protecting his life? So we've seen God save David's life through a good and courageous friend. We've seen God save David's life through quick reflexes and split-second timing. Now we see his life is saved again. Saul was saved by Michael. Uh, Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him, that he might kill him in the morning. So after evading the spear, and David did what you normally would, he, he went home to, to be with his wife. To, Honey, you'll never guess what happened at the office today. But he quickly looked outside and saw messengers. Now, we think messengers, we think postmen. These are assassins. These are people who are planning to take his life when he comes out in the morning. And he realizes he cannot get out of the house or go anywhere without dying. Now at this time, we know in the scriptures, David wrote Psalm 59. Psalm 59 is his prayer to God to rescue him from these men who seek his life at this moment. Let's look at a little bit of that psalm. He wrote, Deliver me from my enemies, O my God. Protect me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from those who work evil and save me from bloodthirsty men. I told you they were assassins. For behold, they lie in wait for my life. Fierce men stir up strife against me. For no transgression or sin of mine. O Lord, for no fault of mine. They run and make ready. Awake, come to meet me and see. You, Lord God of hosts, our God of Israel, rouse yourself to punish all the nations. Spare none of those who treacherously plot evil. God, there are bloodthirsty men who are waiting to kill me. I've done nothing wrong. You have to come to the rescue. There is no other way. Now, how does God come to the rescue? In a very ordinary way, his invisible hand begins to work. It says, but Michael, David's wife, told him, if you do not escape with your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. Now, last week we met Michael. Michael is Saul's daughter, just as Jonathan is Saul's son. She also is faced with a conflict of loyalties. Be loyal to her father who wants to kill David innocently or be loyal to her husband who's done nothing wrong. And she also chooses to be loyal to her husband, I and mean, she has a very creative way of getting David out of that house that night. So Michael let David down through the window, and he fled away and escaped. Apparently, there was a, a back window, probably a very high window that was not guarded because nobody thought they would be able to make it out of that window. Did Michael have a rope stashed away? I don't know. Did she tie the bed sheets together? Quite possibly, I don't know. But she had a plan to make David be able to escape. God used her to save him in what was a very ordinary way. But then we read, And Michael took an image and laid it on the bed and put a pillow of goat's hair at its head and covered it with the clothes. Well, she has more plans as well she takes an image the hebrew word here is a teraphim it is a life size idol and she puts david's clothes on it and she puts it in the bed and then she puts a goat hair pillow so it looks like the image has a bunch of hair on its head and so this is a body double this is a decoy she puts in the bed and when saul sent messengers to take david she said he is sick in other words the morning comes david doesn't come out from bed that the assassins are like, he's late. Let's knock on the door. And she answers the door and probably with a thermometer in her hand, the smell of Vicks Vapo in the air. Oh, David's sick today. He can't come out. Then the assassins are like, oh, what do we do? So they go back to Saul. Then Saul sent the messengers to see David saying, bring him up to me in the bed that I may kill him. I don't care if he's sick. I'll just kill him right in bed. And when the messengers came in, behold, the image was in the bed with the pillow of goat's hair at its head. You were tricked. The body double was there. The decoy worked. Now Saul said to Michael, why have you deceived me thus and let my enemy go so that he has escaped? Now here we begin to see some interesting differences between Jonathan and Michael. Jonathan was a very godly man who protected David by courageous reasoning in a discussion with his father. Michael is not quite as godly of a woman. We've already seen she's intentionally deceived her father. And look what happens next. And Michael answered Saul, he said to me, let me go. Why should I kill you? Did that happen? No. It was Michael's idea how David could escape. David did not threaten her life. So she goes from deceiving her father to a direct bold face lie to her father. And all of a sudden we start to realize that Michael's character is not like Jonathan's character. Michael's a little bit less of a godly woman. Like remember this back in the last chapter, When Saul sought to give Michael to David as a wife, remember this little line? Saul thought, Let me give her to him that she may be a snare to him, and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Now I have a daughter, and when I give my daughter away in marriage, I hope I'm saying to that man, I want to give you a blessing of my daughter. I'm not giving you the snare of my daughter. That is not a compliment on Saul's part about his daughter. In other words, she's not a really, you know, not a really good lady. Here she had an idol in her house. She's lying. She's deceiving. dad considers her a snare. And ultimately you get to the second book of Samuel. Let me read this. And the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, and Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. She's not real excited about seeing her husband go to worship or involved in worship. What we find is she may not be that godly of a woman, but yet God still used her with his invisible hand to save David's life. So it doesn't matter if someone is, is just a godly man like Jacob, like Jonathan, God can use them. Even an ungodly person like Michael, God can use them to save David's life as well. So we've seen in the first three stories, God invisible, God's invisible hand at work. Let's see in the final story about God's very visible hand at work. David was saved by the Holy Spirit. Now David fled and escaped, and he came to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and lived at Naoth. Now, for obvious reasons, David fled. I'm tired of getting killed, or at least attempting to get killed. This has got to stop. Uh, Running to where Samuel is, and Ramah is not that far away. It's two miles away. It's a 30-minute walk, and it's a sad day because... David sort of vomits up to Samuel, the prophet. These are all the things that Saul has done to try to take my life. At this point, it's eight times we have in scripture. And it was told Saul, behold, David is at Naoth and Ramah. Then Saul sent messengers to take David. In other words, it didn't take too long for Saul to figure out David's new address. It's only two miles down the road. So Saul says, I'm sending messengers, which we know are really the assassins. Uh, go take David and bring him back. They think this will be easy. There's just David and this old man named Samuel, who's a prophet. This will be a cakewalk. Boy, are they in for a surprise. And when they saw the company of the prophets prophesying and Samuel standing his head over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. Well, we don't know exactly what is going on with this whole prophecy thing here. In 1 Samuel chapter 10, prophecy was accompanied with musical instruments. Sometimes this word prophecy can be used in a negative sense. Sometimes it can be used in a positive sense. But what we do clearly know is when these the prophets are prophesying, they're not saying their own words. They're saying God's words, like God's will has overcome their will. And the same thing happens with these assassins. They go to get David, And they get close enough to David and Samuel, and it's like there's a Holy Spirit force field around them. They get close enough, and God's Holy Spirit overtakes them, and they start prophesying, saying words that are not their own. They're like, okay, thank you, we're done, guy. And God protects David in a very visible way. And when it was told Saul, he he sent other messengers, and they also prophesied. And Saul sent messengers again a third time, and they also prophesied. So every time he sends these assassins, they get into like the Holy Spirit force field area, and they're like, oh, we're done, okay. We'll just prophesy with you guys. The Holy Spirit takes them over, and they're done, and they walk home. So they're not getting too far. So guess what happens? We read this. Then he himself went to Ramah and came to the great well that is in Sukkah. And he asked, Now where is Samuel and David? And one said, behold, they're at Naoth in Ramah. And he went there to Naoth in Ramah. Saul says, you know, if you want something done right, you have to do it yourself. These guys can't get the job done. Saul goes, and he probably has with him some soldiers. They get to the well. They're not even to Naoth. He gets directions. So they're not even in this area of the Holy Spirit force field, if you want to call it that, he begins to walk there. And this is what we read. And the Spirit of God came upon him also. And as he went, he prophesied until he came to Naoth in Ramah. So the Holy Spirit sort of changes from a force field to like a tractor beam. Remember Star Wars? The tractor is like, okay, overtakes him from a distance and just sort of reels him in. Come on, Saul, we're gonna come right in against your will. And then we read this. And he too stripped off his clothes and he too prophesied before Samuel and then lay naked all that day and all that night. Reels him in, makes him strip buck naked. And then it's like the Holy Spirit goes to a major, major taser. He's out 24 hours, buck naked in front of everybody big, tough King Saul who thinks he's in charge of everything sort of comes to a complete humiliating end. His God is protecting David, his servant. This time, very, very visibly, and there's no question that God is involved. Oh, turn over. There we go. Well, now, What do we take from this chapter? I give you three quick applications here. Number one, we see very clearly that God is busy protecting his servant David. Nothing can happen to the Lord's anointed. God protects him in sort of invisible ways, through a friend, through quick reflexes, and even through maybe a, a not so good wife. But he also can protect David in very visible, obvious and miraculous ways. Now you and I are not (laughs) the next anointed king of Israel. That is very true. But we are son and daughters of the mighty king of the universe through Jesus Christ. God loves you. God cares for you. God with either his invisible hand or with his visible hand will protect you until the work he has called you to do is done just like he did with David. There is no power in the universe, no king in the universe that is more powerful than God, and he is fully capable of rendering even powerful kings like Saul completely helpless if it is, not, if it is God's will to protect you and to continue with you. Second thing we notice here, David is God's chosen servant. He was not insulated from hard times in life, was he? He may be God's chosen servant, the next king, but there are hard times and difficulties he went through. Jesus, as God's anointed king, was not not protected from hard times, but God also carried him through hard times, through the cross and through the grave and ultimately to the resurrection. And as sons and daughters of Christ, we should expect that we will not be insulated from hard times. But we do have this promise that God will protect us and God will carry us through those hard times just like he did to David and just like he did to Jesus. The last thing I'd like to point out to you is this. All of this points to Jesus Christ. It really does. Just as David was the anointed son of God and Saul was the king that was in opposition to him. The Bible tells us in Psalm 2, which was written by David, that Jesus is the ultimate anointed son of God, and the kings of the earth will also oppose him and reject him, but their efforts to destroy Jesus will be completely futile, because we'll God will protect Jesus, and God will establish Jesus as his Lord and King of the universe. And that will never be able to change. Amen? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for how your word clues us in unto the ways that you protect David, your servant. Sometimes in very miraculous ways, with a Holy Spirit force field, a Holy Spirit... Um, tractor beam or a Holy Spirit taser gun, but oftentimes in a very ordinary, behind the scenes and invisible ways. Thank you for the fact that we know that you are involved in our life and you love us and you are protecting us and carrying us through all of our days until you choose to bring us home to be with Jesus our Savior in heaven. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. A complete archive of sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thank you for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.